Thank you for listening to Speed Bumps. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed my podcast on whatever platform you're currently listening on. I also wanted to plug my YouTube channel, where I'm posting videos every Friday under the hashtag FinnApprovedFridays. In the videos, I demonstrate how I do everyday tasks and tell you if the items are Finn approved. You can find my YouTube channel by searching one thumb L, that's O-N-E, thumb E-L, or clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and on to the show. When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. everyone. I wanted to welcome you to another episode of Speed Bumps. And today I have Jen from Legit Bat. Uh, she's also on the show Legit Bat with her husband, Joe, and her brother-in-law. Oh, crap. He's going to kill me. Ben. ben. There we go. <laughs> and, but today it's just, it's just Jen and I. And Jen and me. Jen and me. There we go for all the grammar um, snobs. Can't say the N-word. Anyway. <laughs> We're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, Jen may share parts of like her story, but I really wanted to focus on how when you're going through a speed bump, having this victim mentality can actually make things worse or seem make everything seem longer and things like that. So we're, that's what we're going to chat about today. But Jen, I have to ask you, even though we're not talking about your specific stories, any two things you love about yourself, please? No. Crap. Not about that. Okay. Well, two things I love about myself. Um, okay. I love that when I do have the victim mentality, I'm not going to try to make it related to the show necessarily, but I do get that because I'm a person just like everyone else. Um, that I, I'm pretty quick to notice it and I have to try to change my mindset and it doesn't always work as fast as I want it to, but I do notice it and I'm able to say, Hey, stop. What you're doing right now is not in your own best interest or anybody else's. Um, and that, what else? Gosh, another thing I love about myself. Um, I am actually a ridiculously optimistic person. I always try to twist things and see the bright side of any situation, even if it's really bad. Like if I get a flat tire, I'm like, okay, this is an opportunity to learn how to change a tire. Or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. So yeah, those, those are my are, thing. Yeah, those are awesome. And I, and I think what you said too is important that everyone at some point, maybe even on a regular basis, has this victim mentality. But it's more about whether or not you choose to stay in it. And like I was saying before we hit record, I feel like when something happens, whether it could be anything from a flat tire or something absolutely catastrophic, there's like this time where there's almost like this mini pity party that happens and for me that's how I think a lot of people process it but then you have to choose to go okay this really sucks but I'm not going to stay there yep exactly so I did I did I had my little mini pity party for myself when I was a teenager and I used to say I have such bad luck my car is always breaking down or I'll get pulled over all the time or, you know, whatever. I'll get mm-hmm. fired from a job or whatever it was. And then it got to a point where it did happen so frequently and like separate story. Most of that was obviously my fault, just being a silly teenager. Um, but there was a point where instead of dwelling on it, I just, I would say, this is going to be a really funny story to tell later. I think I've said this on a show before, maybe even your show. 
but I developed this very young. I was like maybe 18 or 19. And I, um, I remember I smashed into my landlord's truck. Um, and he didn't even want me living there. It was actually, my roommate was the tenant and I was just like living there with her and helping her pay rent and the landlord hated it. Um, so I, backed into his car and smashed his light. And then I didn't want him to know I did it. So I just backed my car into the driveway next to him. Of course, he's never going to see that. Right. So, um, yeah, obviously he did. And he called the police and I got in trouble. I didn't get arrested or anything. I just had to pay for it. But I remember sitting there on the steps thinking, gosh, what, how did this happen to me? I can't believe this is happening to me Poor me, you know, even though it was hundred percent my fault. Um, and I just said, you know, this isn't going to be forever. Someday I'm going to look back on this. But like I was quantum seeing this moment right here that's happening way back when I was 19. And I was like, this is going to be a great story to tell later at some point that isn't right now because this sucks right now. And then I kind of took that and I would try to adopt that throughout my life. But I think that's a good way to try to be. It's not like I can do it every time. Um, it's not like it's possible when something devastating happens. But if you can do it, it's a fun thing to try to do. Just say, this is going to be really funny later. Yeah. And, you know, depending upon the situation, it might not be as it's happening. It might not even be in the next day or two. But if you can pull yourself out of that, because you can read, and this is strictly my opinion, you can read all the affirmations. And obviously, I'm an advocate for therapy, but other people can only tell you so much. You're the one that has to make the choice to change your mindset. Yeah. And it's hard though, to be a person on the outside when you're watching somebody struggling so bad. You know, I have a couple of friends who are very, it's almost like they like it. They mm -hmm. enjoy that feeling, you know, people like that, yeah. where it seems like they enjoy sitting there, but they're miserable at the same time. So there's obviously a part of them that can't stand being there. I don't think it's natural to want to sit in that place of negativity and drama, but some people just seem to enjoy it. And it's like you said, it's very hard to try to convince somebody because they really have to find that path on their own. Yeah. And we'd saw this on some Instagram account and I can't vouch for the validity of it or anything like that. I can't cite the study, but it makes sense that the people who seem to perpetually get in that victim mentality cycle, like you were talking about, it's because that's where they feel safe. Like, yeah, it absolutely sucks, but it's that um, the evil you know versus the unknown. And so they're like, well, I know what this is, so I'm just going to stay here versus making that choice to change their mindset because they're either consciously or unconsciously afraid of what could happen. That totally makes sense. So I could see that where, um, you know, you can think of an example when, when you feel upset about something, you know, where your brain's going to go, you know, what it's going to do to self-preserve, to try to make you feel better and feel comfortable and safe, even though there could be something better you could do. Why would you do anything different? No, exactly. And like I said, I don't remember the account, but I read that and I was like, I can see that for a lot of people who I personally know who like you, they stay in this mentality. And I'm like, why, why would they do that? But then I also know they've gone through a lot of stuff. And I feel like that's the, I guess the difference is I feel like everyone goes through a lot of stuff, whatever that stuff is, I'm not going to define it. But if you can make the choice at some point to pull yourself out, then those things might still happen. You might still get a flat tire. You might still lose your license or whatever that is, but it's not the end of the world anymore. Right, exactly. It's when you see that the world is already happening all around you. And if you get in the way and you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, maybe it might hurt a little or it might feel uncomfortable. But if you just ride it, see where it takes you. Not always easy, but it's try to look at life as just one big adventure because it kind of is. Yeah, it's almost like that. Um, did you ever read those choose your own storybooks as a kid where it was yeah. like, you know, you read like a page and at the bottom, it's like, if you choose this, go to page this. And if you choose this option, go to page this. Yeah, I love those. They're at, um, 
did you ever like go back and like read it multiple times, like purposely choosing all the different things just to see what would happen? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I only did it that way. Um, there was a Netflix show too. I think it was a Black Mirror called Bandersnatch. And it was a choose your own adventure movie where you would have to have your remote out and click and whatever happened next in the movie would be because of what you chose. So Joe and I watched it and we went and did every single one. And then we looked it up online to make sure we got them all. (laughs) I'm one of those people where I'm not satisfied with like where I, if I could be a fortune teller, if I could see the future, I would try to pick right every time. So every time what I'm saying right now on your show is so hypocritical in a sense of like, Spread the way because you have to, because you have to. But if I didn't have to, I probably wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe I would. Who knows? So could you, in a sense, so I get that you want to like have all the different possibilities and like see which one would be best and like choose the perfect right path. Um, But sometimes I feel like we are our own lives and it's such that hypocritical not hypocritical cliche metaphor of your life is a choose your own storybook and is there anything you would honestly go back and change though nope no there isn't I mean there are things maybe a few little things here and there like things I've said or done in the heat of a moment angry and young that I wish I could have taken back because they were pointless I didn't even learn from them the only thing I learned is that is something I already knew, which was don't, don't say things like that, you know, but, um, as far as relationship mistakes I've made or, um, big life decisions, I wouldn't change a thing because it got me to where I am right now in this moment. And it's a good place. So I guess I would have to, I mean, I did have this theory back in the day when I was little again, that, um, that we do live our same lives over and over and over again. And that deja vu is when we have deja vu, you, okay. So just say you live your life and then you die and then you get to look at your whole life, have a whole life review and you're going to have to go back and do it again, but you're going to forget. So it won't matter, Mm -hmm. but you can put like, I don't know, some arbitrary number, just say you get to put like 20 places in little pegs of things that are going to alert you that a big life decision is coming up, but you can't really know all of it because that obviously wouldn't, you'd either make a totally different decision based on other things, or you'd make the exact same decision. So you have to have a, a glimpse, a moment, like a second, because that's deja vu only lasts for like what? Yeah. Half a second. Yeah. So that your alert is just like, boink, okay, something, you're going to have something happen. I can't tell you what it is. You don't get to know anything about it, but just pay attention for the next, you know, I don't even know how many minutes or hours or days that something important is coming up. I don't know if that's real, but obviously that's just like a silly theory. No, that's interesting though, because, so I've heard a similar theory about deja vu, but i don't think I've ever heard it used in reference to, hey, th- there's a big life decision or there's a big fork in the road coming up. I haven't heard that part. And that's that's very interesting just because I haven't paid it like when I experienced deja vu, I haven't had that in my head. So like I haven't then paid attention to see if that's true in my life. But yeah, it's like. I still remember this one deja vu, though, because typically you don't remember your deja vus, right? It's just like this sense of familiarity. You're like, hey, I've kind of been here before. But I have this one that I remember, and I was probably 14-ish, okay? And so we're talking like half a lifetime ago. (laughs) And I'm really bad with directions. I can get lost in a circle. So I feel like I need to say that up front. I get lost in a circle. I am directionally challenged. I am awful, awful, awful. And my parents were driving and we were on like some road trip. And so we were low on gas and we need to find a gas station. And I was like, oh, if you go off this exit, go down this amount of miles, make a right, like make a left, all these different things you'll get to a gas station. Now, there's no sign on the side of the road that says if you do this. We're like in the middle of BFE, Ohio. And my dad was like, I don't know if he believed me or was like, 
I see a town up there. Like, I don't remember what exactly it was, but my directions to a T were correct. And they're like, how did you know? Because we're not from Ohio. We're from Michigan. Um, like, literally in the middle of nowhere. And they're like, how did you know? I was like, I don't know. But this is cool. And I just, like, totally brush it off. But, like, it was this sense of, like, I've totally done this before. And I still That's remember that day. That's yeah. really cool. So, wow. I have never had a cool deja vu ever. That is <laughs> totally rad. So, I only remember, like, I'll be standing somewhere doing something super boring. And then, and then I have a deja vu moment where I'll look around the room and it looks super familiar. And I've obviously been there before because I'm there and I live there or whatever. Yeah. But it feels like that exact moment has happened before. And that's what's really weird. But that's super cool. So you gained something right away. So that's like perfect proof that you did that already. Yeah. <laughs> or but maybe you were connecting with yourself in another dimension and they had already done that part. Who knows? I, yeah, I have no idea. That's like the only cool version of deja vu that I've had. But typically mine are like yours of like you're standing in a room and you're just like, oh, yeah. Or you're driving down a road and you're like, oh, yeah, I've done this before. But that's about it. Yeah, that is amazing. I've never heard a cool deja vu in my life from anybody. We've talked about it on the show, too. I actually met. um, Gosh, I forget what show it was. I'm sorry. But um, this guy was telling us I told him my theory on deja vu and he's like, that is the exact same theory that I have. And I've never heard anyone say that. And I was like, oh, awesome. Sweet. But he didn't. He just had we all had like boring deja vu. Like, oh, I was standing looking down the hallway and I was like, oh, this has happened. You know, never given directions to your parents when you're a child with no license in a state you've never been to. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> and, and I still suck at directions. So if I tried to do that now, it still wouldn't work. <laughs> right. You could be in the same spot later. You've Listen, done it. Yeah. Like I've gotten lost on the way to work before, like after going there for like two years. So when I say that I'm really bad with directions, I'm really, really bad with directions. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's totally fair. I am too. I don't know like east and west. I do obviously, but if someone says to me, "Go down this street, head east," I'm like, "Whoa, is that left or right?" Like, I'm not gonna do that calculation in my head. So, I'm kind of the same way. <laughs> I remember I was in high school, and I had like this little flip phone as for a cell phone. So obviously, no GPS, no smartphones, nothing like that. And I think. Something had happened with the car, like, or I was lost. I, I don't remember. Oh, I was lost. That's what it was. So I call my dad. He's like, where are you? And I was like, I buy a McDonald's and some trees. <laughs> He's like, Elizabeth. Very specific. <laughs> like, what's the road you're on? I don't know, but there's some houses. Like, don't ever <laughs> ask me for directions or where I'm at. <laughs> that's so funny. Did you get lost a lot as a kid? Like when you were driving? Yeah, like I knew how to get to and from school. And that was about it. Everything else I had, they're like the printed either MapQuest or Google Maps out. And and even then, if I like missed a turn or there was a detour, I was screwed. <laughs> yep. I used to do that all the time, but I used to purposely get lost in Massachusetts when I lived there when I was younger. If I was bored, I would just drive around and get lost and then try to find my way back. And sometimes it took forever. And I learned nothing. Like I could never go back and recreate that. I would just be like, oh, I'm in a place I know now. Finally, I got out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I still totally randomly drive around Connecticut just to like drive. But then when I want to get home, I have to use Waze or Google Maps or something because I'll end up in like, I don't know, New Hampshire at my luck. <laughs> that would be great though. See, it would be an adventure. Oh, it'd be an adventure, but it'd be like nine o'clock at night and it'd be calling Mike going, I think I'm in another state and I took some toll roads and I don't have the little easy pass thing and um, help. <laughs> <laughs> Just let him know you're by some houses and trees and the highway. Exactly. Exactly. And they all speak English here still. So I think I'm still in the U.S. So that's what I can <laughs> tell you. Sweet. <laughs> oh, tangent. Oh, I love them. So. Going back to the victim mentality for a second, we got off on deja vu and directionally challenged. If you had to give someone a piece of advice that's like, yeah, like I, I recognize that I do that myself and I don't want to be in that mentality, but I'm still stuck there. What do you think is one thing that they could do to try and get out of that? 
uh, be okay with where they are. I know that's way easier said than done, but just you have to start by being okay with it. And then you can look around and then maybe you can see what's really happening because a lot of times when people are upset and they think this is the worst thing in the world, they're not thinking about what happened or why that happened. And I'm, this is excluding like a death or an illness or something like that. Like that's a different thing. I mean, when other people do things that bother other people, that's typically Mm -hmm. where that victim mentality comes from. A lot of times when people go through a lot of loss or an illness or something they struggle with, they turn it into a positive thing. Sometimes people don't, but I see a lot of strength in people like that. But when there's, oh, I just got broken up with for the fifth time, they're not really looking at why that happened. Is it maybe they pick assholes or maybe they were being overdramatic? It doesn't mean that there's a blame game happening, but they have to kind of see what really, really happened. And I think it starts by being okay with where you are. Like this already happened. It happened. It's done. So be okay with it because this is the place you're in right now. Yeah. And I think to your point of maybe why there's in general, that difference between illness and death versus um, a victim mentality when it comes like if someone cuts you off or um, you get a flat tire or whatever. If it's an illness or a death, I feel like there's not really anyone else to blame, right? Uh, If you're religious, maybe it's God. Maybe you might blame yourself if the illness has something to do with like your diet. Like you can directly tie it to something that you did. But in those two things, there isn't an easy person to blame maybe is a better way to say that. Right. If someone cuts you off, it's super easy to blame the person in front of you and blow your horn and swear and get angry. If you get fired, it's really easy to blame the CEO or the economy or whatever, as opposed to going, hey, maybe I should have done something different. Maybe you couldn't have done anything different and you were always going to get fired because the company went under. But I think I never thought of it that way of an easy scapegoat versus having to deal with reality. Right. That's what I think it is. I mean, from what I've seen and and I've seen it in myself too. So I'm not saying I'm so perfect and I'm judging others, Mm -hmm. but when it's, when it's easy to blame someone else, it's much easier to stay in that place for a long time. Like, Oh, whatever, this person's a dick. But when you have to look at yourself, it makes it easier, but it's initially hard. It's like ripping off a bandaid. You have to say, you know, like, I mean, just as another example, I had a a relationship that was for six years back in the day. It was awful and it wasn't abusive or anything like that. It was just like a mind fuck. The whole thing. I was constantly, I was not confident in myself and I used this person to build me up. So when they would do something that upset me, I would try to get back in their good graces somehow or get them to do something that would make me feel better. It was very convoluted. I was in my twenties. So, um, but when we finally broke up, I was so devastated and I looked back at it one night. I, did this like whole life review of our relationship kind of from mm-hmm. beginning to end. And I took in all of the good and all of the bad. And when it was all done, there was so much more bad than good. And yeah. it wasn't, it, it wasn't that he was a bad person. I actually ended up respecting him more after I did that. And I was like, wow, we're so much better off not together and we could never talk again and I'd be fine. And that does kind of suck, but we were never good together ever. This was always a bad relationship. It was never going to work out. And if it did, it would have been terrible for me and him and everyone involved. So, you know, I'm, that's one time that I was able to do that. I wasn't that gracious in all of my breakups prior to that, but, um, but it's nice to sit there and say, you know, at the end of the day, the best thing happened, even though it happened in a really bad way, or I had a lot of really negative feelings about it. And I sat in that place for months, blaming him and blasting him on social media. It was horrible. Um, it was like 20 years ago, but still, um, but yeah, it was just one of those like kind of, I don't know. It was just a realization moment of like, this is not a thing that should have happened or if it did, that's fine. But the lesson to be learned is that I'm going to be okay. I'm going to move on. And it wasn't a good relationship. So I'm not really missing out. I'm in the place that I'm supposed to be. And I always have been. Yeah. And For me, what I find really interesting, so for me as a kid, growing up with my hand, 
I hated my hand. I wanted a thumb. I wanted two normal hands. And I pretty much felt that way basically through high school. Like, it kind of got a little better in high school. But, like, I wanted to be like everyone else. And there was definitely this victim mentality pity party aspect going on for years. Um, And it wasn't until I had joined or met someone. um, They were doing like a limb difference picnic to like meet other people that I really started to embrace my hand. But what I love now and gives me hope for the future is there's some kids now who don't seem to have that victim mentality, even in their preteen teenager years when they're going through that really awkward, like puberty stage and like everything is weird. They're really okay with being different. And so I'm hopeful that the victim mentality in society is going down or maybe their parents are just doing a better job at, because there's more resources out there of teaching them that it's okay to accept who you are. But I've noticed that and that gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah, for sure. Well, inclusivity is super important now in society. And I, you can take that, you know, to whatever extreme you want there. It's not all perfect and great, just like nothing is, but there is a very strong message across the board, I guess, worldwide of it's okay to be different and be yourself. And yeah. you talk crap on that person. That's wrong and bad and evil. And nobody should do that because that's not anything that you should be making someone feel, you know, a certain way. So, I mean, so there are benefits to that all inclusive, everyone's whatever they want to be movement. Yeah. Yeah, And I think anything can be taken to an extreme, whatever that thing is. But to your point, I feel like maybe that is part of the reason that the tides seem to be turning. And that gives me hope. I mean, I, I, Hope that we don't go too, continue to go too far one way, right? But just yeah, more Being of accept, more of accepting of people, because I wonder if we were generally more accepting of whatever the thing is, whether it be political ideology, skin color, disability, whatever the thing is, would the victim mentality still exist, or would it exist as much? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it came from that push. I don't know where, when it started, maybe like 50s, 60s, or it probably started from the beginning of time, who knows, but 50s, 60s, when, you know, commercials were a big deal and ads of trying to be just like everyone else or trying to one-up your neighbors. Like yeah. your neighbor has this vacuum, you should buy it too. Oh, so-and-so is wearing this dress. You need to get this dress. And it goes for men too. Oh, they have this job. How much money are you making? That all became what everyone was striving to be was just like everyone else or keeping up with everybody. Yep. And then that kind of fell apart recently and there's good and bad to that too. But you know, my parents were totally stuck in that. I remember that very well where they did a certain thing. If our neighbors did a certain thing, even people I know they'll look at what someone's doing or wearing on social media and they'll make their profile picture like that, or they'll copy someone's Christmas cards or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Not because they, Sometimes people think it's a good idea, but I think a lot of it's like, I want to appear to be this way as well. And that's not really, I don't know, it doesn't feel wholesome, you know? It's not genuine. And I feel like maybe that's the other side of victim mentality is people will do or seemingly do almost anything to fit in. And if it doesn't go exactly the way that they want, they throw a fit. Yeah. I mean, people can be mean too. It's just hard. I think if you sit with yourself and you love yourself enough and you're confident enough in yourself, it wouldn't be a big deal. And that's so hard. I think our mm-hmm. brains are built that way. We're just designed to be like, I want to fit in. I want to belong. Yep. That's so normal and totally fine. But if you can kind of break out of that and be with yourself and be okay with yourself, you wouldn't really care if other people didn't like you. And I also think that if you, when you stop caring, people are attracted to you in this weird way. Do you ever notice that? Yeah. Yeah. And that's not necessarily to say you have to be abrasive in this. I don't get it. Give a F about anything, but. Oh yeah. No, I don't mean like that. I more mean like, like a confidence. 
You're not right? worried. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, the, like the Bob Marley song, everything's going to be all right. I'm not going to try and sing it for y'all. I am not a singer. Um, but that song, <laughs> I can hear it playing in my head. Y'all can play it in your head and in, in the tune of his voice instead of mine. Um, but yeah, that everything is going to be all right. And there are circumstances where you're like, I don't understand how this is going to be all right. But typically, and it's not always right away or as fast as we want. There is a silver lining or it does turn out all right or whatever. And I think that's really hard for people to accept even, you know, I wonder if to get out of that victim mentality to kind of answer my question that I asked you earlier. And I think Joe actually said this on the episode with Brandon, you, or maybe it was you, but anyway, you think of the worst case scenarios, you genuinely, you, without going overboard, you think of them and you go, okay, now I'm prepared. But then also you're still breathing. You're still alive. You've survived all of your previous bad days. As cliche as that sounds, you'll survive this too. Right. Yeah. I said that Joe and I were both talking during that conversation because we had both just gone through this crazy thing in February. So that was like fresh on our minds, that mentality Mm -hmm. where, um, like the bank that I worked for just closed abruptly. So I just had like no job. And they told me also that they weren't going to let anyone go. And um, and then they let our branch. So I was still technically employed because our branch that I work for all was let go at the same time. And we just moved to a different bank. So it really wasn't that big of a deal. But at the time, it was super up in the air. And I was like, hey, I just lost my job. <laughs> and so did everyone at the branch. And I was about to freak out. And instead of doing that, I talked to Joe about it. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to stop caring about my freaking credit score because it doesn't matter. I took years to build it up and get it where it is now. But if I just stop paying my bills, I just have bad credit. Oh, well, I'll have more money. That's not a big deal. And we won't lose the house. Our kids aren't going to die. They're not going to starve. They're still going to be happy. All of these things that I was so worried about with losing my job just weren't that big of a deal because they they couldn't be because if I had let that consume me I would have been a shell of a person so yeah. I had to be for my family and then still try to stay positive as our branch transitioned to, to a new bank it was like a two or three week move so we all didn't get paid for like over a month but we figured it out and I was able another thing too when you're able to um stop blaming everyone around you and freaking out and overreacting instead of sitting in that place when you're able to do that and be calm, you're able to figure out a solution much more quickly to the problem because you're not, your brain isn't frazzled and you're not flipping out and you're not worried and concerned and thinking, oh no, what's going to happen? This is going to be so awful. And you can say, you know, that that could happen, but it's actually not so awful because I'll be alive. My family's okay. You have to think of like, what are the most important things around you and get to that core place? Like, mm-hmm. okay, your happiness is important. Your family's important. You have to make sure the kids are fed and you have a roof over your heads. But, um, but you know, after that, it's everything else is just fluff. Like, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Like, I don't care if we lose a car or if we have to, you know, refinance or something like that, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we just, we did that both together where we were like, it's going to be okay no matter what. And we both didn't react. And then everything turned out totally fine. Mike, I have to say, is much better at doing it quicker than I am. I can, if I'm more of a periphery that it's happening to, as opposed to the main character, if that makes sense. Like, I'm better able to do that switch. Um, But there was a very large situation recently that was going on for years and is still going on, um, that we were constantly... I would say in the victim mentality, I would, that's probably safe to say, because it just seemed like everything, we thought we were doing all the right things and it was just blowing up in our faces. And we finally got to a point that we're just like, you know what? We can't control this. And to your analogy of riding the wave, we're like, we're just going to go along with what happens because clearly what we're doing isn't working. So we're just going to play this out and see how it goes. Yep. Sometimes that's the best thing to do. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not saying that 
people should just say, well, whatever, I don't care. Like, I'm not saying be extreme about it or don't care about anything that happens in your life. Like what you were saying earlier, Mm -hmm. take care of yourself, take care of the things you have to take care of, but really look at what's important and stop trying to control every little aspect of things, especially when it's a really big deal, because there's a lot that's completely out of your control when it's something is when there's multiple people involved or, you know, of businesses or the state or whatever, there's so many things. It it's, I don't know. It's very daunting. It seems like a huge challenge and it's very overwhelming for the mind, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a difference between, I don't know, wanting to go on a diet and you just have to control your own mind and your own self versus, I don't know, you falsely get a ticket for speeding and you have to worry about the cop and the judge and like all this other stuff, right? Because to your point, the more people that you try to control, it rarely works out. I mean, heck, I know people that have trouble controlling a toddler. How do you expect to realistically, and you can't control other adults? Yeah. And controlling a toddler that, oh man, my sister is so good at that. She has, (laughs) she has five kids and a set of twins and then three boys crazy. So she was just so good at letting them be themselves. And actually two of them are still toddlers now, but she was always, even when she was a brand new mom, they would go crazy and she would never try to say, Oh, nope. Sit in, sit in your seat and eat, shoot your mouth closed and do all the stuff that our parents did to us when we were yeah. kids. She was just the exact opposite and just kind of let the kids do what they wanted and did teach them manners, but in a really kind way. And they all grew up besides, you know, the two littles right mm-hmm. now, they're still good, but they all grew up to be such good kids. And they're so, you know, they're such free thinkers and they're always so kind to other kids and they're not rude or disrespectful. They're not crazy or wild, but she just kind of let them be kids, you know, as far as like talking about controlling a toddler. I think the more you try to control a toddler, it's just taking away from their personality a little bit too. Yeah. And I've never raised a toddler, so I can't speak from experience, but it, I have a friend who has two little boys and you know, I see people on Instagram or at the park or at the grocery store, and it almost seems to become a battle of wills. And right. in some cases, it's almost as if the parent becomes a child and then it's two children fighting as oh. opposed to an adult being an adult trying to comfort or discipline or control a child. Exactly. And it's where you're just, you got to ride the wave. The toddler is the wave. They're the force there. <laughs> just kind of let it go, but still be a parent. Yeah. And don't try to push back so much, you know, and you can apply that to all, all aspects of life, really. Yeah. It's, um, I remember this reel that I watched and it was this woman, I guess little girls, maybe like three or four and they were in a restaurant and she was screaming and she tried to like calm her down in the restaurant. Little girl wasn't having it. The mom carries her outside and little girl's like kicking a tree and kicking rocks. And she's like uber angry and, the mom just kept saying, I'm here when you're, when you want to talk, I'm here if you want to hug and just like, kind of just like waited for her to like ride this wave. Right. And finally the little girl calmed down enough that the mom realized it. And she's like, I'm going to take a guess that you're just really hungry right now. And like your tummy wants food. And the little girl's like, yeah. <laughs> and the mom's like, okay, well the food's probably back at our table. So how about we go back in? But what are we not going to do when we go in? She goes, scream. Mom goes, Yeah. <laughs> And they went in and they had a nice meal. And apparently people were blasting her and being like, you didn't give her a consequence for not screaming. And, you know, she was so disrespectful in a restaurant. And I'm like, adults get hangry, right? <laughs> and we, and we I, I've seen people yell at waiters and um, oh yeah, throw tantrums because people are hangry. And there's all the reels about, you know, girls getting hangry before their period. And that's okay. But a four-year-old's getting hangry, that's not okay. When we basically do the same thing. I've seen grown adults scream and like throw bar glasses because they their food isn't ready. Oh wow. Like I was awake for like a while, I for about seven years, and I saw some very childish adults, totally. Employees and uh and customers. I've never seen anyone throw anything. Dang. Yeah, it was they're just it's not like they threw it at someone. It was just like at the at, at the bar counter. Like they just threw it like they were angry. And I'm just like, why? 
Like, it's not going to make your food come any faster because now they have to stop and clean the glass. Right. And those are things that that lady was teaching her child in that moment that maybe those people who are throwing things now as adults didn't, didn't learn as children, you know? Yeah. So instead of, instead of someone calmly telling them that their actions didn't really help anything and the child has the opportunity to see like, yeah, well, I just spent a lot of time out here picking and throwing things and didn't really accomplish anything. Maybe those adults who are throwing things now just got spanked or screamed at and never really had the opportunity to process what yeah. went on. Yeah. Now, obviously, if your kid decides to run into the road, please feel free to grab them so they don't get hit by a car. And like, <laughs> like I'm not being like, let them run into the road, but oh no, when you can give grace, when there's not an emergency situation, give grace. Well, it's hard though. It is hard as a parent too to see your child hurting or to see them doing something that affects you and not be reactive. So I'm not judging anybody. I was an extremely reactive parent growing up and my daughter is a teenager now and she's a very reactive teenager because of that. And it's, I'm not blaming myself. I'm trying to help fix that, I guess, but I was yeah. excuses. I was a single mom though. I had two jobs and I was in college full time and I had no help. And instead of asking for help or really seeking things out, I just kept pushing back and was like, nope, I'm going to do this myself. I can totally do this. And in the end, it just hurt me because I wasn't really the best self that I could be to be there for my kid. And I was there for her, but I was more militant. Like, okay, you have to eat your food because it's healthy for you. And if you don't eat it, you're going to be starving and you don't want to be starving because then blah, 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 whatever. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I am not judging any parent who does, who makes, um, I don't want to say wrong decisions, but who does things they regret later because it happens to all of us. I saw this thing and I can see it being true in some cases. Um, it was like the things that set you off the most or trigger you the most that your kids do are the things that you were yelled at or in, not appropriately disciplined for. Um, when you were a kid. Yeah, I could totally see that. And I was like, huh, we're disciplined all right. a lot though. Did you grow up in a really strict household? What was your house like? Um, it was like strict on weird things. Like it wasn't like this consistent strictness because I was sicker in and out of doctors and hospitals. And then like my sister was too. So there would always be this thing like you had to eat your vegetables, but you didn't have to necessarily finish everything else on your plate. Um, in church, I could never have my shoulders exposed. So like even like a thick tank top dress, right, where it's like a two or three inch whatever, like could not had to wear a sweater in church. Um Always had to go to church. With my parents like wasn't allowed Saturday night sleepovers. Unless then I went to church with my parents, like they and they'd have to pick me up early. Um, like really weird. We were really big on bedtime. Yeah, and we were too. When I got older, there were like certain outfits that they'd be like, "I really don't want you to wear that," but they weren't. They weren't really uber strict on like things that I did. It was just more of. I pushed back a lot and was sassy because this sounds cliche, but hear me out. No one understood. And so for me, it was no one understands my hand. No one understands the doctor appointments. And I was very mad at my parents for it because then they'd be like, oh, well, of course we do. And I become irate. So I feel like it was this weird strict knot in I do remember like getting spanked a couple times as a kid, but not like beat, like it was just like a, a swat on the butt. It was more of the threat of it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. We got, we never got slapped or smacked. We got spanked, but not, I mean, it was a handful of times and I'm sure we yeah. deserved it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and we weren't very young and it didn't go into, it was like just the appropriate spanking age, which I... I'm not supporting spanking, but I don't feel like my parents were like spanking me when I was two, but they also weren't spanking me when I was 13. Yeah. You know, it was where it, it startles you enough to stop doing that thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, if you decide to run in the road, when they grab your arm, you get a swat on the butt. So you know, like, hey, that's... I'd rather a swat on the butt than, you know, be hit by a car. And I can honestly say that. So, <laughs> yep. like... Agreed. Not advocating for hitting your kids so, like, people don't come at us. It's just... Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not even saying that spanking right now at those ages is appropriate. I'm just saying, for me, looking back, I don't, I don't feel like my parents were abusive personally. Uh, yeah, no, in no. my personal situation, but yes, I didn't grow up smacking my kid or anything. Yeah, it. Were you, your parents were strict, though, weren't they? Yeah, they were super strict. Yeah, that's what I thought. We weren't religious. They were just as strict as Joe's parents, but minus the religious aspect. Interesting. We were very strict on bedtime. My parents picked out what I wore until I was in seventh grade. Um, I couldn't wear jeans to school except for one day a week. We could only watch TV on Fridays or sometimes we got to pick the day, but it was just that day. There was no other day we could watch TV for whatever reason, um, which is fine because we wanted to play outside anyway. So it wasn't a big deal. Um, and what else? Just so many things. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup until I was almost in high school. Um, and so so because of all of that, when I was allowed to do these things, I actually ran away at 16 and I was a terrain wreck. Like I cut my hair off. I dyed it all these weird colors. I got all the face piercings, um, not all of them, but I got my tongue pierced, my nose pierced, my eyebrow pierced. I wore bright blue eyeshadow. I did all of the things my parents never let me do. So when my daughter was growing up, um, I let her do all of those things when she was young. So I was never allowed to dye my hair, um, either, not even a natural color. Like if I wanted to dye it like strawberry blonde, that was totally not allowed. So my daughter wanted to dye her hair in like seventh grade. So I let her and it was a normal color. I think it was like blonde or something or dark brown, whatever, but I let her dye her hair. And then, um, I let her wear makeup, but I, she already knew like YouTube tutorials, so she could do makeup better than I could. So she, I let her wear like, I started with mascara or eyeshadow or something. Mm-hmm. Now she's like a makeup artist and she does her makeup really well. And she doesn't use it as some source of rebellion for something she wasn't allowed to do for years and years and years. Yeah. That was the other thing too, is my parents were big on makeup and um. I, I had this thing where, like, I thought it was really cool to, like, wear hoodies in the summer and then, like, shorts, but that the hoodies covered the shorts so it just, like, looked like I was wearing a hoodie. Um, you can probably guess my age by that uh, <laughs> description of an outfit. But, like, I in, it infuriated my dad just because it looked like I was just wearing a sweatshirt and because my legs are long in proportion to the rest of my body. And I have a butt at 13 years old, he saw it as like, and and men would hit on me because they didn't know the age that I was. And so for him, I think it was more of like a protection thing. Like you don't realize, and I didn't at 13, what these guys want and why they're doing it. Like, can you please not dress like that? Yeah, no, I get that. But it's funny because if you weren't wearing that hoodie, your legs would be just as exposed as they were. So they just... didn't like my shorts at all, but the problem was... Oh, gotcha. It looked even worse with the sweatshirt, but there it was like... I wasn't trying to wear booty shorts, but that's all that was like out there at the time, or they went to your knee, like the Bermudas. There was no in-between during that when I was oh, that yeah. age. I... I never had booty shorts at that age. Not allowed. I had to wear the frumpiest clothes. I mean, my cl- I have the best pictures. I I did not even have booty shorts. They were the big flare out ones, the like mom jean shorts. Those were my jam. <laughs> well, I was forced. I was forced into wearing those, but yeah, they were the coolest things I had. That's funny. That's funny. I was going to say something too besides the jean shorts. You were talking about um, hair dyeing and face piercings and running away. And there was something else that you were talking about, too, in that realm. Like, just like when you turned 16. Yeah, I just did all the stuff. 
wore makeup, got my face pierced, dyed my hair, did whatever I want. I drew kiddo. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. Oh, yeah. now I remember. So my husband used this analogy and he's much better at this than I am. But his analogy for raising kids is it's like if you're holding a pile of sand in your hand. If you grip your hand too tightly, the sand falls. Because if your fingers are too loose, it falls through your fingers. He's like, so you have to have this lightly cupped, supported version while holding this sand. And yeah, some things are going to fall through, but that's the best way to parent. And I'm like, you're obviously older than me, so wiser than me. But like, that's his analogy. And so I try to do that, not just with parenting, but like everything in life, like not to be so... One thing I'm struggling right now is I see everything in black and white. For me, there's very few situations where there is gray. I'm a very black and white person. And he's always like, you have to give some gray, like just a little bit of gray sometimes, like a little. And I'm like, no, there's no gray. He's like, just a a, a little bit. It's a little, little bit. Like where the two colors meet, like a little line. Um, So I'm trying to get better at the supported, but not too tight, too loose sand holding analogy of life. I love that sand holding analogy. I'm going to have to use that. Um, I am naturally a very black and white person too, but I had to grow into being a gray area person because otherwise it was just too much for me. It was making me angry. I used to be super angry. I mean, with all of the dumb stuff I did when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I mean, and then I could have flamed my parents. I ran away. So then all this stuff happened that I had to do it because I, my parents were whatever. It doesn't yep. matter what those things but I look back and I'm like gosh I totally see why they did what they did too and that's a gray area because it's me taking whatever black that I am and white that they are and I'm blending it and saying you know there's a middle somewhere and there's always a middle mm-hmm. or story you know you and I could have a conversation and then go tell someone what we talked about but there would be a gray area of what we yeah. really talked you know yeah yeah um one thing my mom used to say and still says there's two sides to every story and the truth is somewhere in the middle yeah, exactly. So I think everything is great too. I think that Mike is on to something with that. I agree. I agree. Well, Jen, I wanted to thank you. I know we went on all sorts of little different tangents and didn't stay on victim mentality, but I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, so thank you again. Of course. Thank you for having me. I always, always love talking to you anytime. And legit bat i know that people can just like google it and it's pretty easy to find but do you still want to plug it just in case yeah legit bat podcast on all platforms we're on rockfin um we have a couple of things on youtube it's a legit bat on instagram um yeah come check it out and thank you again jen and thank y'all for listening and i hope you have a wonderful wonderful day <laughs>